and uh, it's it's just a blessing to be invited by uh, you all and Steve to do this. Um, let's start with a word of prayer. Then I'm going to share a little bit about myself, and then if you want to put your thumb uh, in your Bibles at uh, James 5.16 and 1 John 1.9. Those are the two verses that uh, will be the focus of our study this morning. Oh, thank you. It's been, uh, it's been a long time since I, I've been in a, a different pulpit than the one at Calvary Chapel, Cape Cod. And um, one of the things that I heard a long time ago is um, what makes a, a, a wonderful pastor, a loving pastor, is a wonderful congregation and a loving congregation. And so that being said, um, my nerves are a bit at ease in coming here to share because um, if Steve is a reflection of his, the church that he leads, uh, you all are a loving, kind, and gracious uh, church family. So I'm so thankful for that because grace. Amen. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you be with Pastor Steve. Father, we thank you for Calvary Chapel in this city. I thank you for the relationship that, that we have between Calvary Chapel in the city and Calvary Chapel Cape Cod and the many times we've been able to serve together, especially on short-term missions trips. And, and also, you know, just supporting, Lord, these, these missionaries that um, this church has been so instrumental in their beginning and their, their continuation and the work that the Lord is doing through them. So Lord, I'm so thankful. We praise you for that. I praise you for this church. I praise you for the, the love that our churches have for one another and the connections that we have. And Lord, I pray for continued connections to grow and develop and deepen and, and for our love for one another to grow and, and for us to continue to do the work of the ministry and Continue to share the gospel till the whole world hears. Lord, we thank you and praise you. And Lord, as I share your word, I pray your spirit would fill us all. Give us all ears to hear and words to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I, I, a little bit about me. I, I, I grew up on the seacoast of New Hampshire. Anyone ever been to Hampton Beach? That's where I'm from. That's where I grew up. I was born in Exeter, New Hampshire, 1970. Feeling old. And I grew up and um, I, I had very young parents. My mom was 16. My dad was 18 when I was born. And I got to attend my mom's high school graduation. And my, my, my dad's dad, my grandfather, he died when I was like three. So my, my dad was about 21 
you know, my mom's like uh, 19, and, uh, and, and I was a little three-year-old boy, and, and my, my brother Seth was on his way, and, and it just was like too much for my dad. And over the years, he became an alcoholic, and, and the marriage was always up and down, up and down. And, and I remember one of the times when the marriage was, was on, the, on the brink that, that uh, my dad decided to, you know, let, let's get religious. And so he, he, he made us uh, go to CCD. And uh, the problem was, is I was many years beyond at this point. I was 10 years old, and I was uh, attending catechism as, with all the six-year-olds because I had not done any of it at all. I had never, had never really stepped foot in a church. And, uh, and so I'm going through this with me and my brother, and, and uh, you know, we were, we were kind of two partners in crime. And we get to the point where we're having our first confession. And we get to the first confession, and we show up that Saturday so we can have our first confession so we can take communion the next day, if I remember correctly. And when we get there, uh, the, the, the priest goes, you know what, we're going to make this a family, a family affair, and we're going to do open confession in front of everybody. And I had this little heart inside of me that was under great conviction and guilt that I wanted to be rid of in the worst way. I had, I had, I had you know, like I said, there, there were so many things that I knew that already in my little 10-year-old heart that I had done that were, that, that were just wrong. And, and I remember we get up there, and my brother's in front of me, and I'm listening to the kids in front of me, and, and they get up, and they're like, did you ever steal a cookie when you weren't supposed to? Yes. Did you ever tell a fib? Yes. And then they would be sent on their way. Do one Hail Mary, one Our Father, and then you'd be all sent. And I'm wondering, my brother's in front of me, I was like, I know all of the stuff that this kid's done. Because he's with me in all of it. And I'm wondering, what is he going to do? And just like you'd expect from my brother, he gets up there, do you ever steal a cookie? Yep. you ever tell a fib? Yep. He takes off. But the burden of guilt on, on my heart was so heavy. I was like, that's not what I'm doing. And I laid it all out there. I'm a thief. I think I stole about $50 from my uncle's dresser, coin jar. Uh, I found the porn mags underneath my dad's mattress. I mean, I'm just, I am like just laying it all out. Because I just have this burden on my heart to just be set free. And I'll, and just, oh, I'll never forget it. The priest looked at me like, why are you ruining our event? And they gave me like 15 or 20 Hail Marys in Our Fathers. And I still had hope at the moment that this guilt would be gone. And I went and I sat down and I, and I, I grabbed a rosary. I started going through that. And it wasn't working. It wasn't working. I got mad. And I ran out. My dad was in the car the whole time. He wasn't part of that. He was smoking cigars in the car. 
And I said, Dad, you try and bring me to church again. I will fight you. This doesn't work. Well, God had a different plan for my life, obviously. Because then I went through life and ran from God and just tried to learn how to live with the guilt and would medicate myself basically with relationships and girlfriends and sex. And I got to a point where, uh, once again, I had hurt a girl that I had a relationship with, with deep pain in the family, with deep pain. And it hurt hard in my heart that I caused that much pain. And I wanted relief, and, and I didn't know where to get relief. And, and then, just relief from the guilt, and I just I didn't know where, what to do. And, but then I met, I met my future wife, and she was a believer in Jesus Christ. And she wasn't doing so well at the moment, because she was hanging out with me. But the Lord convicted her, and we were in the military, we were in the army, we were stationed in Germany. And we were, we were hanging out together, and, and she got convicted. And one time, one time uh, she asked me, do you ever consider Jesus? And I said, no, but I had this, I had this in, the, in, my, in the back of my head and in my heart, I don't want to ever hurt you like I've hurt people in the past. And she, at that point, wanted to start going to church. And, and we lived in, the, in, like, literally from here to that building right there behind us. That's how far the church was away from where we were living. It was an army chapel. So we went to the army chapel. We started going. All of a sudden, I'm like, I'm teaching children's church. And I'm not even saved. It's nuts. It's totally crazy. And, and, but, and the, the pastor was, he was terrible. And he was terrible. So I spent my time looking in the Bible. I knew my name came from the Bible. I knew Silas was in there. And I got a little ticked off that Paul's names was mentioned way more than mine. Um, you ever do that with a yearbook? You know, like, you count how many pictures there are of you. And compare it to the most popular kids in class. Or whatever. So, uh, so that's all going on. And, and then all of a sudden they have a marriage Sunday school. And I'm like, I'm going to go to that marriage Sunday school. And that, the pastor that led that was, he was a lot better. He's, he was really dorky, though. And uh, I just, you know, this guy's so dorky, but, you know, but he, and this just where I was at, you know, you know, he was a Lutheran pastor, he looked like, kind of like the Pringles guy a little bit. And, uh, but he, I could see he loved his wife, and his wife loved him, and they were teaching this marriage class, and, and I could start to sense something going on there. And then by the grace of God, another chaplain showed up, and, and he became a, a chaplain in the army strictly to lead Je soldiers to Jesus Christ. And he was fit, and his wife made awesome food. And he invited me to, we go running together, and they invite me over for, for dinner, and just these awesome meals that were, I was like vegetarian at the time, I was in the fitness, and, and just started loving on me. And my, and my future, my fiance, wasn't my fiance at the time, so that's a whole other story, we'll tell next time maybe. My, she went back to the States on leave, and so I just was like every day with Pastor Bart, Chaplain Bart. And one day we're just sitting out in front of the BOQ, the apartments there we lived in, and he just shared Jesus Christ, we shared the gospel. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ, my life has never been the same. Amen. I was born again in that moment. And all of that guilt, all that shame, all of that lostness and loneliness 
it just fell off. And, it, and I realized it was on the, the shoulders of Jesus. And I'm just so thankful for that. Well, interestingly enough, I'm just going to add this one last part and then we'll move on to the study. But I, I, we ended up going back to the United States and moving to Virginia, Diane and I. We got married in 96. I got saved in 94. And um, when we were there, uh, we had no idea. I had no idea about anything about churches at all whatsoever. And by the grace of God, this like couple moved from Virginia. They were German and moved right to where we were at. And then, and then literally as we were leaving, they were like, you've got to check out Harvest Christian Fellowship and rest in Virginia. That's where you're going. So the first place I ever went, going back to the United States, into now I'm a born-again Christian, coming into like denominations galore and independent churches galore and non-denominational churches galore. Like, oh my goodness, what do I do? I just, I went into Harvest Christian Fellowship, which was a Calvary Chapel. And, uh, and I was home. I was home. And interestingly enough, just in that very beginning, because this is where it all kind of comes back around, in that very beginning, in, the, in like the first six months of, of being at Harvest Christian Fellowship in Reston, Virginia, uh, there's someone that, that I met that I watched get launched out from Harvest Christian Fellowship, Virginia. I think it was here about in October. Uh, Pastor Keith Gardner? Yeah, he was like right here. Yeah. So here we are like 23 years later or whatever it is, and like boom, I... Holy ground, both of us, same spot. Who knew, who knew that God would ordain something like that? Isn't that cool? So I, I have not kept up with him. I, if you don't know, I'm a, I'm a bivocational person. I'm a pastor at Calvary Chapel, Cape Cod. I'm, I am also the principal of a middle school down on the south coast of Massachusetts. And I am saved. I just shared I'm saved. I shared my story, that testimony, that was real. And I'm also a pastor of a public middle school. A, a, a principal pastor, they're very similar. Uh, any other educators here? Awesome, 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 awesome. I love it. Uh, thank you for doing what you do. It's, uh, it, it, I was a lieutenant in the Army. I was a satellite engineer flying, flying satellites for Lockheed Martin. And then I became a teacher. And I said, what have I done? <laughs> Did that for 10 years, and then I became an assistant principal for 10 years. I'm like, oh my goodness, I am an idiot. And then three, three years ago, I became a principal. And uh, God's good. God's good. All right. Are you ready to learn something together? All right. That's, I'm always just one step ahead of, the, ahead of, ahead of what I share. I'm a, a lifelong learner, a lifelong learner of Jesus. I'm an apprentice. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm... I don't know it all. Actually, the, when, when Paul says I'm the chief of sinners, that's becoming more and more real to me because I realize how much I don't know, how much I don't love, and how, how bad I am at being a human being as God designed a human being to be. And, uh, but I'm learning, and I want to keep learning, and I, and I want to help people to learn about following Jesus. So, let's read. James 5.16 says... James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Now let's read 1 John 1.9 
if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I listened to Pastor Steve's message last week from Galatians chapter 3. And I thought, man, what a great message. And when you hear like the message that Steve shared last week about justification in Christ Jesus, where, where we are accepted, adopted, and adored because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He died for our sins. He rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death and taking on our unrighteousness so that he could give to us his righteousness. Justified. All of his perfect life given to our account. All of our sins forgiven. All of our distance and alienation from God. We've been, who are once afar off, have been brought near. We've been reconciled. We've been redeemed. There's all this amazing truth of the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. But then you read verses like James and 1 John. And I ask myself, if, all, if that is true, I am holy, I am glorified, I, am, I have a perfect righteousness before God. Why would I need to confess sins? Jesus paid for them. So what I'm hoping to bring out today and kind of learn a little bit about this idea of confession is that there is an idea of judicial righteousness. Right? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Judicially, no condemnation. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might have the righteousness of God, right? Judicially, in a court, if you will, there is no condemnation. But what I really want to bring out today is there's also relational righteousness. And relational righteousness is about intimacy. It's about harmony with God and with others. It might be, uh, you might think of it this way. There's the righteousness that we have in Christ where we are accepted. We have membership. We are adopted into the family of God. And this, this does not depend on our character or our behavior. This is a free gift given to us by grace through faith, right? But there's a relational righteousness that has to do with God's approval, if you will, of our life. Are we in harmony with God's will in our life? What is the maturity of our life in our walk with Jesus? Now that actually does depend on our personal faithfulness in living out the life that God has given to us by his spirit, with his body, through his word. So let's kind of do a little study. First, I want to focus on the word confess. What does it mean to confess? Confess, in the Greek, is some form of 
homo legeo, right? Homo, same, legeo, word, like the same word. But Psalm 52.9, just to do a little word study on this, Psalm 52.9 says this, I will praise you forever for what you have done in the presence of your faithful people. I will put my hope in your name for it is good. Now, if you looked at a Greek translation, that's like the Septuagint of the Hebrew, any idea what word in there is confess? Praise, rock on, right there. Praise, I will praise, right, you forever. I will confess you forever. There's an expression here going on of the heart of devotion to the Lord, of honor to the Lord. Philippians 2, 8 through 11 says this, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God of God the Father. There once again, there's that confess, and what is it? Honor, respect, reverence that is due our Lord Jesus Christ for what? This amazing thing, for his humility and service in meeting our needs by conquering death and having victory over sin. Romans 10, 9, and 10. You could probably quote, many of you probably quote this one, right? It's one of those ones Pastor Bart made me memorize. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Amen is right. So once again, here's a positive expression of a heart attitude, a heart attitude of saving faith. So confession. It's one way of understanding is that it's just expressing openly what is in your heart. So in James, right, 5.16, it says what? Confess your sins. So now as we move on, I think we're kind of gaining an understanding of what confession is, hopefully. But what is sin? Now, I'm not going to do an exhaustive study on sin. But you all know that sin means to miss the mark, right? I didn't remember, I didn't read, but is, is it, uh, is it Hamartia? Is that right? Good? Yes? Okay. I didn't, it wasn't part of my study, but it was like going back in the, in the in the files. Hamartia, to miss the mark. Just to say some comments on sin, you know, to bring some light to it. At the essence of sin is relationship brokenness or relational brokenness. It's relational brokenness with God. It's relational brokenness with humans. And it's also relational brokenness with creation. Back in the garden, right? He made us, he made us what? In his image so that we could have a, a fellowship, a love relationship with God, Adam and Eve, create a whole bunch of, have a love relationship with each other. And then what are we supposed to do? Rule and reign, take this creation 
and make it flourish. It's designed to flourish, make it even flourish more, right? There's a right relationship with creation going on there. So sin is when every that is broken. When your relationship with God is broken, it's sin. When relationship is with other human beings is broken, it's sin. When your relationship with creation is broken, it's sin. And so what this results often is in this disturbance or disruption of shalom. What's shalom? Peace, right? But it's, it's not the absence of war type peace. Shalom, the idea of peace, is when all of the relationships are ordered and functioning as they should be such that, such that there is human flourishing, there is delight, and human dignity is affirmed across all peoples. But you start throwing in relational brokenness, purpose brokenness, and what do you end up with? Genesis 4 through 11 comes up quick. There's envy, there's drunkenness, there's murder, there's rebellion. You start bringing in rebellion against God and his authority. It brings in sin. And then like I shared in the beginning of my own story, sin has this way of manifesting itself with a tremendous amount of what? Guilt and shame, a sense of uncleanness and pollution and disgrace. And like I shared, it's like as you, as you engage in all of this brokenness, what happens? It just starts to accumulate. The burden gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And when it's not dealt with, the only way we can deal with it with a heart that just senses this burden of guilt and shame, we medicate it or we harden it. We just hide it. Another way of describing this is death. We experience death. Separation. Separation from God. Loneliness. Separation from people. Just starts to break down. And so when it comes to sin, there's kind of three ways that we can find ourselves where we recognize there's this pollution, there's this shame, there's this disgrace, there's this brokenness, there's this distance, there's this sense of exile, there's this sense of loneliness when it comes to relational righteousness with God and relational righteousness with people. Turn with me to 2 Samuel, chapter 13. This, this story we're about to read about Amnon and Tamar, uh, it kind of remi- reminds me of back in my, when I first became a Christian. I remember like, teaching children's church and I didn't even know the Lord yet. And uh, then later on, continuing on in junior high ministry and stuff. And I just remember the first time I just remember being with these kids like, oh my goodness, these kids know more of the Bible than I do, right? So I remember just reading through the whole Bible like as fast as I could, not taking in anything. I was just, it was just purely, what are the stories in here? And then you come across some of them like Anna and Tim, you're like, oh my goodness, is this really in the Bible? 2 Samuel 13, verse 1. It says, some time passed, and David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And David's son Amnon was infatuated with her. 
Amnon was frustrated to the point of making himself sick over his sister Tamar because she was a virgin, but it seemed impossible to do anything to her. Amnon had a friend named Jonadab, a son of David's brother Shimei. Shimei, 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 Shimei. You'll figure it out. Jonadab was a very shrewd man, and he asked Amnon, why are you, the king's son, so miserable every morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon replied, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend you're sick. When your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me something to eat. Let me prepare food in my, let her prepare food in my presence so I can watch her eat, watch and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my presence so I can eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, please go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare a meal for him. Then Tamar went to his house. While Amnon was lying down, she took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his presence and baked them. She brought the pan and set it down in front of him, but he refused to eat. Amnon said, everyone leave me. And everyone left him. But the meal... Bring the meal to the bedroom, Amnon told Tamar, so I can eat from your hand. Tamar took the cakes she had made and went into her brother Amnon's bedroom. When she brought them to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come, sleep with me, my sister. She said, Don't, my brother, she cried. Don't humiliate me, for such a thing should never be done in Israel. Don't do this horrible thing. Where could I ever go with my disgrace? And you, you would be like the one of the immoral men of Israel. Please speak to the king, for he won't keep me from you. But he refused to listen to her. And because he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Tamar. An interesting thing about sin is you can become disgraced. You can become humiliated. You can become defiled, shamed at the hand of another person's sin. Did Tamar do anything wrong? No. No. She did everything right. And yet what happened? Don't humiliate me. Don't give me this experience of disgrace. She did nothing wrong. So sin in this relational brokenness can have its effect on you like I shared with before. I, it, I knew in my prior relationships with, with, some, with one particular girl before I met my wife that I had caused shame, that I had caused disgrace, that I had polluted, I had defiled that person. And I knew I was doing something that was broken there's another interesting situation of the transfer of, of defilement and sin and brokenness into people's lives. Numbers 19, if you want to turn there. Verse 11. The person who touches any human corpse will be unclean for seven days. He is to purify himself with water on the third day, and the seventh day he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third and the seventh day, he will not be clean. Anyone who touches a body of a person who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. 
that person will be cut off from Israel. He remains unclean because the water for impurity has not been sprinkled on him and his uncleanness is still on him. This is the law when a person dies in the tent. Everyone who enters the tent and everyone who is already in the tent will be unclean for seven days and any open container without a lid tied on it is unclean. All right, so picture the scenario, right? You got this old godly couple and they're in their tent, all right? And, you know, wake up in the morning and she's like, honey, honey, wake up, wake up. He doesn't respond. And then what does the wife realize? She realizes her husband has died in his sleep in the tent. So, so she, she, you know, she's touched the dead person, right? And then she goes, she'll go through the process later on that day of re- going through the cleansing process, washing him down and get, preparing him for burial. So she's unclean. Now, who sinned in that case? Did the guy who died sin? No. Did she sin? No. Did anybody, did any person sin in that moment? No. But what was there in their presence? Death. And the wages of sin is death. So here is a defilement, if you will. Here is a situation where they've become unclean, not because of one person's sin or another person's sin, but just because they were in the presence of sin that had an effect on them. You can probably think of a situation, right? You ever, you ever been watching a, a show that, for the, you know, is normally like pretty good or, or like, you know, I, I, some shows I appreciate because you, you see it coming, right? And it's easy to take the iPad and go, boop, eh, nope, <laughs> we're not going to go there, right? And you're, but sometimes it's like, boom, they give no warning, in your face, death, right? Sin. It's just in your face presence. And at that moment, you're like, I'm defiled. I've just got an imprint in my mind that I don't want there, that's not honoring the Lord, that's, that's not, it, it, there's, and it's just in the presence of other, of, of sin, it's had an effect on me that has defiled me. And then there's the obvious. Just the sin that I do. All right? Here's when I was thinking about this, I'm not, like, the, you know, personal testimony of sin. All right? You know, what do you share? Do you remember when you were little and you were coming home with your parents maybe or, or, or your caretaker or whatever and, and uh, you fell asleep in the car? And you pull in the driveway, and you know when you pull in the driveway or, or the parking lot or whatever it may be, and you, and you know when it's time for you to wake up and walk into the house. And what do you do? You practice faking that you're still asleep so that you get carried in. Yeah? Anyone ever do that? Does anyone, anyone like, whatever your situation is, did you ever practice faking sleeping to get a free ride? Yeah, that's, yeah. So I, like, I really tried to perfect it, you know? And I think I did a pretty good job because now that I'm married, you know when those things happen in the middle of the night, like the dog has to go out or the, or the cat's thrown up or, you know, or, or the kids are, mom, dad, mom, dad. My wife thinks I'm the heaviest sleeper on earth. 
She does. My confession, honey, I'm sorry. I have sinned against you. Honestly, more often than not, I know it's happening. And, I, and, I, and I'm faking it. I am, I am like, okay, remember, don't let the breathing rise. Keep the eyes closed. If they say anything, show no sign of awareness. If they push you, act really limp. But that's sin. Relational breakdown. There are occasions where the Holy Spirit does get a hold of my heart and I'm cleaning up cat puke, just so you know. But the interesting thing about this, too, is as we move on in that verse in James 5.16, right? Confess your sins. Sins. Sins done to you. Sin that happens in your presence. And also sins that you do. Who are we to confess them to? What does the scripture say? It's pretty plain and simple. One another. Confess to one another. Is that what it says? Make sure I'm right. Anyone checking me? Confess your sins to one another. I don't know about you, but I just shared how I'm, how I'm, a, how I'm a professional hider. I'm a professional deceiver. And isn't that what we do in church, with our church family, with our sin? We come in and we're not faking sleeping, but we're putting on an act. We're not being honest and truthful with one another about who we really are. We all come in as avatars to church. I'm guilty of being an avatar at church. Who I am before you is not honest because I don't confess sin. So you don't get to know who I really am. You don't get to love who I really am. You're loving a false representation of who I am. This is crazy because this is, I'm telling you, this is, I, the, I need to grow in this. I'm sharing this. This is, this is something I've, I've, been, I've wanted to teach on for a long time just because I want to experience personal growth in this myself. Forgive me for that, I guess. But I'm, lear, I'm learning. I want to share with you and I, and I, and I want, and, I, and my church family in Cape Cod, um, I want to share this with them too. Because this is not a common experience, though it's not, a, it's not an extinct experience in the church. It's not a common experience in the church to confess our sins to one another. Mostly what you hear is, Jesus, there's only one mediator between God and man. That's Jesus himself from 1 Timothy. And, and so we, we confess our sins to God and God alone because God is the only one who can forgive sins. But that's not... What my Bible says. It does say that. What did I say before? I am completely forgiven. All of my righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Judicially, I am declared holy, righteous, and redeemed. I am perfect. But when it comes to relational life, I've got a lot of immaturity in my life. 
I've got a lot of room for growth. I've got a lot, of, a lot of my life that is not in harmony with God, not approved by God. And I want to grow in those things. And he calls us to do this with one another. I wasn't quite thinking about how much my message was going to tie in with my confessional story as a child. But when you remember my story, that priest did a really horrible job. But it seems to me, and, and, and I hope I don't weird you out here, but in Revelation chapter 1, do you know it says, To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father. The glory and dominion are his forever and ever. Amen. And 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises, confessions, right? of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are, in Christ, all of us, a people who are priests. That's nuts, right? But you kind of got to like, don't go down, you know, that rabbit trail, that, you know, if you will. What is it? What, what is a priest? It's, it's not... That's because I said, don't go down the rabbit trail. <laughs> That's weird. There is one mediator. Who is our great high priest? Jesus. Who is our connection to God? Jesus. Who's praying for us, interceding for us always? Jesus. But there's something about a priestly ministry that would give, he's given to us. Engage in what I do. Engage in as a church family, as a, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation. Not one person going to the priest, but priest gathering together to minister to one another to bring each other to the great high priest in his presence. Where we are helping each other. We are encouraging one another with confession. Remember, the, just an expression of the heart that we speak with our mouth. And you know what? We need to confess what's going on in our heart and speak with our mouth with each other. And we confess sins, but let's just start with the other ones. What about all that positive stuff? Do you confess praise? Do you confess the glory of God? Do you confess your salvation? Do you, do you confess gratitude and thanksgiving? Do you confess just the, what God is doing in your heart? There's the positive side of confession, if you will. But then there's the part where there's relational brokenness. Do you confess where you're out of harmony with your relationship with God? Do you confess where there's discord? Do you confess where you're disrupting and, and throwing shalom off and, and, and where you're not bringing flourishing, but you're bringing wilting? You're bringing fruit. You're bringing thorns into this world. And the problem is, like Hebrews tells us, sin is what? It's deceitful. We need people to help us process what's going on in our heart, not just the 
glorious stuff going on in our heart, but the jacked up stuff going on in our heart and the dirtiness that's going on in our heart because of sin committed by us, because of sin committed to us, and because of sin in our presence that's defiled us. We want to do what Adam did. I've sinned. Give me a fig leaf and run and hide. And what did God say when Adam did that? Where are you? What was that uh, invitation? What was God inviting Adam to? Come on out, let's talk about this and confess. What's going on in your heart, Adam? Why do you want to put a fig leaf on? Why, why do you want to hide? What's going on, Adam? I love that the Lord is just showing grace to Adam. Like, come on, let's talk about this. Confess what's going on in your heart. <laughs> and what does he do? Blame shift, right? Hide, blame shift. All the rotten stuff, the defilement going on in our heart, what do we do? Hide, blame shift. It's our natural tendency. And you, when you have a priest or priests in your life that can come in and help you, no, don't go there. Don't blame shift. Stop hiding. So you can what? Come out into the light. We were called into the marvelous light together. We're called to walk in the light together. We're called to have fellowship together. We're called to fellowship with the Lord. This, this fellowship is this connection of heart. Sin breaks down those connections, disintegrates those connections, ruins those connections. A priest is someone, as James said, what, who you pray with. Who's someone in your life that you pray with? Who's a trusted prayer partner friend that you've developed a relationship with where you've demonstrated love to one another that you can actually start to bear your heart with one another and confess sin and experience what First John will say is cleansing, wholeness, healing. People get all excited about healing ministries. Why, aren't, why isn't this healing ministry what we're really about? Helping each other be healed of the defilement and brokenness of sin in each other's lives. We are to walk in the light, as he's in the light, it says in 1 John 1, that we may have complete joy. I don't know about you, I want complete joy. I want heal, healing, I want wholeness in my walk with God, in my love for others. And so this fellowship of priests, it's this awesome group of humble servants who have who seek an attitude of repentance in the presence of a holy God, are willing to confess, share what's going on in their heart in the presence of a holy God and God's people. And this will create genuine community where we have love for one another. This will heal marriages and families and make your church, our church, the church, thrive with fruitfulness. As we walk in the light, this isn't about, about moral purity, and it's, it's about life doing each other's laundry together. Dealing with dirt. Let's stop covering up sin and hiding who we are. Stop living a life of loving avatars. This is a place where God calls us to be a, people of gr a place of grace. Unconditional, undeserved, unmerited love. We get that from the Lord. Let's share it with each other. He wants us to be free. Man, if we lack humility, if we 
are avoiding repentance, if we're hiding and, and not, not engaging in confession, we're just going down a path of pride and self-righteousness where we're judging others and condemning others and, and then we start not giving people the human dignity that they are and created in God's image and it becomes looking down on others or oppressing others. You know, I find it, I find it fascinating, you know, here, Jesus Christ our membership in his family is a gift. It's the gift of eternal life. Our acceptance is something where it's all by just faith in Christ. It's a gift given to us. But our maturity level and our approval, that goes with our, how well our relationship is functioning with God and with others. And here's a real danger that I was just meditating on. Don't mix the two up. Don't mix the two up. Because here's what I tend to do. I try and look at someone's maturity level and then determine whether they're saved or not. I look at how, 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 how much is there, is how approved is their life before God and his ways. And if it's not approved, then they must not be accepted. And I've just turned it into a, a method of judgment. And I really try and practice how God treats me. While I was still a sinner, he died for me. And I'm called to die on my cross daily. And I want to live a life where I accept all people as Christ accepted me, no matter what they believe, no matter what their performance is, their approval rating is, what their membership is, no matter what. Lord, help me to accept them and initiate in them, have relationship with them, and in that acceptance demonstrate love to them. And with myself, Lord, help me in that process work on my maturity, work on my approval, work on my relational brokennesses. As you start to accept all people and working on loving all people, that's the playground, the sandbox, the experiment maybe, if you might call it, of where God starts to do sanctification. And you start loving people as Christ. And so you start, there's still, like, there's behavior that's approved and not approved. Right? There's, there's, there's a, a maturity, the immaturity and, and non-maturity. Or maturity and immaturity. Those things exist. And this is, one of, this is like why we have to confess sin. Because we've got to grow in those things. You are accepted, adopted, adored, even applauded by God in Christ Jesus, but our relationships need a lot of work. I have no idea how much time. Are we doing okay? Are we okay? I'm on time? I'm at time? Okay. I looked at Steve, and he was like 45 minutes. I looked at Keith Gardner. He was like an hour and two. I was like... And I, then I have no idea. So I'm going to wrap it up with this. Are we ready? 1 John 1, 9. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it and commentate quickly. If we confess, bring what is in my heart out through my mouth. Our, that's a plural possessive. Our sins, the ones that belong to me and to us. Sin that belongs to me in some sense, the sin done to me or the, the sin done by me or the sin that was in my presence that defiled me. If we confess, bring what's in my heart out, our plural sins, the different kinds, he is faithful. He stays near 
and is emotionally commit and, and and is emotionally and caringly committed to be with you. He's not going to leave you forsaken as you come and confess. And he is just. He will never overlook your sin either. But he will forgive. You've already been forgiven of all your sins. So forgive what? The guilt and the shame and the defilement that needs to be dealt with, that resides in your heart. Bring it to him, and he will what? Cleanse. He will take away the shame, the defilement of your sin, of the sin committed against you, of the sin that defiled you just because you were in its presence. And that will what? Bring about righteousness. That will bring about approval before the Lord. That will bring about maturity in your walk. And you will walk in the light as he is in the light. We will do this together and our joy will be complete as we live in the presence of God and we become a community of grace and truth, loving one another, serving one another, glorifying our Father in heaven and we become a witness to the world because they see an authentic love for one another and we find healing in his wings. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I, I, I confess this is not a practice that I prioritize, that I seek out. And we wrestle, Lord, with why do, I, why do we feel like our, our, our prayers are not answered? Why do we, why do we feel distant? Why, why, why do we, it's, Lord, help us because we just live brokenness. We let sin leave our lives in a state of disrepair. But we're accepted. We're adopted. We're adored. The, we can come into your presence at any time and come into the light and just expose our sin and say, here it is, Lord. Here's where I'm defiled. Here's where I'm stained. This is because I did it. Because This is because they did it to me. This is because I was just there. Lord, cleanse me. And Lord, may we do this as a family, as a community. And let us help each other, Lord, to be clean and holy before you are God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for letting me share. Pastor Eric.